This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. ByHeart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, ByHeart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their blend includes the most abundant protein found in breast milk, alpha-lac, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. In addition to its patented protein blend, their formula includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey to casein ratio like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system and makes it an easy-to-digest formula. Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code Dr. Nicole for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash itself. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Dr. Mom is committed to providing an ultra premium formula for moms who will not settle when it comes to their little ones. Help your baby feel better and get relief from irritating diaper rash with simple quality ingredients, no artificial dyes or preservatives, so it's gentle on your baby's delicate skin. Head to amazon.com or walmart.com to grab Dr. Mom Butt Balm because nothing comes between you and your baby, especially not diaper rash. In this birth story episode, you'll hear from Kalisha and her experience with trans abdominal cerclage. Warning, this episode does involve pregnancy loss. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 108. Thank you for being here with me today. On today's episode, we have a birth story episode from Kalisha. Kalisha had a trans abdominal cerclage and a successful full-term pregnancy as a result. After experiencing a miscarriage at 16 weeks and then a stillbirth at 21 weeks, 
A cerclage is a stitch that is placed around the cervix and the cervix is the opening to the uterus and that stitch helps to keep the cervix closed. It can be placed either through the vagina, which is far more common and Kalisha actually had that before she had the transabdominal cerclage, or it can be placed transabdominally and you'll learn more about that in the episode. A cerclage is something that we do for women who have a weakened cervix for whatever reason, whether from prior surgery or genetics. It's not common. It happens in roughly two to 3% of pregnancies. So in this episode, Kalisha walks us through her experience with all three of her pregnancies. And this episode is a bit longer because you really have to understand her first two pregnancies in order to understand the third. So Without further ado, we are going to hop right into this birth story episode with Kalisha. Thank you so much, Kalisha, for agreeing to come onto the podcast. You have a really interesting and unique story, something that a lot of people don't know about. And so I'm really glad that you reached out in order to share your story. Yay, I'm so glad to be here with you today, and I'm excited to share my story and just bring awareness to incompetent cervix. Yeah, yeah. So why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. Well, I was born in Alabama. I'm a South Alabama girl, Um, went to the University of Alabama and graduated with a degree in psychology. I'm the oldest of three, and I'm the only girl, Um, and... I got married in 2011, and I recently had a little baby girl in September of 2019 and went through some different ordeals to kind of get there, but um, that's kind of what my family looks like right now. All right, yes, and speaking of the ordeals, you know, normally on the podcast, I have people share like their single birth story, but we really have to understand what happened with your other pregnancies in order to get to, you know, and really to understand the full picture. Yeah, let's go through it. So, um, got married in 2011 and was pretty young, 27, and did not want kids at that time. Wanted to kind of just spend some time getting to know my maid and just be married. And um, he did have two children. They were three and seven when we met, but they lived out of town. They were boys. And so um, got to kind of spend some time with them, but they would go back home. And so when I was 30 in 2014, um, I got pregnant. We weren't really trying at that time. I was on the Nuva ring. Um, and I think I maybe missed a month or didn't do it right the month, but lo and behold, we became pregnant and we're very excited. Um, okay. I was 30 at that time. And so I just went and told the doctor that I had been seeing since I graduated and moved back home, which she was awesome that I was pregnant. And, you know, we just began the normal pregnancy um, appointments and meetings. I think I went at eight weeks to confirm. And then once I confirmed, um, I think we just kind of set different meetings for um, just to listen to the ultrasound and the heartbeat and all of that stuff and had a really normal pregnancy up Mm. until about 16 weeks. Yeah. So tell us what happened at 16 weeks. Yeah. All of my jobs I've kind of traveled with. um, So sometimes I'd be traveling, but still didn't have any issues. But around 16 weeks, I woke up and I was bleeding. I noticed some blood and I was just like, this is not normal. Kind of what's going on. It wasn't heavy at the time. It was just some, some spotting. 
Um, and so I remember calling my sister-in-law because she had had my nephew about a year before. My mom is no longer with me. Um, she passed when I was 11. So I mm. called her and I was like, hey, I'm kind of having this. Do you think, you know, you're on Google. I'm trying to figure out like sure. what it may be. And so you see when you're researching that some spotting is normal. And I'm like, okay. And then it kind of got heavier throughout the night. And so I woke up that morning and I called my doctor and I said, hey, something's not right. You know, I'm having blood. You know, I've done nothing. I haven't fallen. Like nothing's happened. Right. And so I um, took a shower. I don't know why, but, you know, you go into the doctor, you're like, let's take mm-hmm. a shower. <laughs> and as I'm in the shower, there's just blood clots, large clots just coming out as I'm showering. And I'm not knowing what's going on. And I'm just trying to hurry up and just get in the car. Um at that time, my husband was at work. I was by myself. Um, and so I got in the car. I called a couple of friends and I'm like, hey, this is what's going on. I need y'all to pray just, you know, as I'm driving to the doctor's office. Right. And so I call my aunt as well. She's my mom's sister. She met me at the hospital. And so I went in. I remember going in, like signing in, and they took me to the ultrasound room immediately. And as we got into the ultrasound room, the ultratech told me to sit on the um, bed or whatever, the little table. And she was like trying to go around my stomach for a heartbeat. And so I don't, we didn't hear one. And she um, just was like, you know, hold on a second, wait a minute. And I think she may have gone to get the doctor. Um, And so she went and got my doctor because it's not a small practice, but it's only four doctors. And so you normally can see your doctor. And so when she came in, she let me know there was no heartbeat and I needed to meet her next door um, at the at the hospital. There's a hospital next door. Okay. Um, they said, there's no heartbeat for the baby. We need to meet you next door. And I just, I just kind of froze. I didn't know what to do. Had not sure. been in this situation before. This had not happened to anyone in my family that I had known of. Um, you know, it's, it was just crazy. I just couldn't understand. Cause you're like, I did everything right. right. What do you mean? And so I remember like leaving and going into the waiting room. My aunt was there to meet me and I was kind of telling her and I'll never forget. Like we pushed the doors open, going into the hallway for the elevator. And we both just like fell to the ground, Aww. you know, and just bust out crying, just didn't know, didn't understand, um, and proceeded on to the hospital. And so once I got to the hospital, um, and I don't think my doctor was there that day. It was another doctor because I know someone on call had to come in and talk to me. Um, and so that was within that same group, right. um, not at the hospital. And so once I got to the hospital and got there, um, they came in and talked to me about, you know, what had happened and that they didn't really know, you know, why it had happened, um, and that they needed to do a DNC. Had never heard of that. And I'm, I'm a questions girl. Sure. So I'm like, what is this? How is this going to happen? And, um, they're like, we can either do that or you can go home. And if you go home, these are the things that can happen. And I remember them saying, like, if everything didn't come out, then something, you know, I could have some other um, medical issues from right. not going ahead and maybe getting the, the baby out or any remains that were left out. And so as I'm thinking and trying to figure out what to do, um, I decided to go that route. And so there was the doctor on call for my doctor's office and my doctor did call me. 
Um, but that doctor came in. She was nine months pregnant herself, I remember. Oh. And she was like, we we have to do this. And I was like, okay. And so I kind of prepared myself to kind of get ready to do that. Um, and then they did the surgery. I remember losing like two pints of blood within the surgery when they came back and told me. And then they came back um, and told me that everything had gone well. And I was just like getting myself prepared to you know, go back home and just understanding what had happened. Um, and I remember them coming with the, they bring the baby and like the pictures. Right. At first they asked me if I wanted to see the baby. Right. And at that time I did not, I know that the baby I think did not develop fully, maybe the leg or something like there was no fully developed part, a part of the body. Um, I do remember my husband at that time wanting to go see the, um, wanting to see the baby. Um, at this point, we didn't know what sex the baby was, and we couldn't tell um, based on how the remains did not fully develop. Sure, yeah, that that early in pregnancy, you 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 probably can't tell. Can't tell. Yeah. So we didn't know, and I remember getting the pictures though, and I did look at the pictures, and they put them in a keepsake box, and I remember them asking what we wanted to do with the remains. And I I didn't really want to have a big funeral. I didn't want to be so sad because I had dealt with loss, losing my mom at a young age. And I just, I've gotten better with dealing with death because it's inevitable. But um, it was just hard to kind of grasp my mind around it. Sure. And so we decided to um, get the baby cremated. Um, we had a family member that owned a funeral home. So they came and picked up the baby and we got the remains um, cremated so that we could do something special later, um, which we eventually did something at the beach that was just he and I and did something just special, wrote a letter to the baby and put it in a um, a glass jar and sealed it with the remains and kind of put it in the sea, which was a sweet um, kind of memory to do together. Yeah. Um, and so after that, we just kind of we talked about it some and some of my family members and it was a, a hurt that I just definitely didn't understand. I'm a Christian. So I definitely prayed about like, maybe why did it happen? But sure. based on the pregnancy, how it went, um, and I had no prior issues of any other type of, um, body issues or female issues, right? No surgeries or anything on no. your no. cervix, nothing. No, mm -hmm. we could not understand it. So going back for like follow-up, you know, we talking to my doctor just kind of did not understand why this had happened. And I do remember her wanting to do a test. I don't remember what kind of test at that time. Um, but just to, I know before I got the other surgery, we did a fallopian tube test, but at this early stage I don't remember what the test was but just wanting to make sure there was nothing kind of causing this that she knew of immediately but she was really good at that my she's recently retired with this last baby I was my little baby was one of the last ones because I wouldn't let her not deliver her because <laughs> um, she had been through just this whole process with me and so that was the first loss um, 16 weeks not understanding why it was an actual miscarriage um, healthy pregnancy no morning sickness no issues no pain um that was the only time that I had saw any type of discharge was that night got it got it 
Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now let let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. So then you come to, I guess, how did you make the decision to decide that you're going to try and get pregnant again? And I know that during this pregnancy, you ended up having something called a cerclage. Mm -hmm. And for, um, for the listeners, a cerclage is basically a stitch that keeps the cervix um, closed. So how did you decide, like, we're going to try for this again? And then how did it come to the decision of you're going to get this cerclage? Yeah, so the next two pregnancies were planned. Um, we talked about it and decided that we were ready. I was about 33 at this point, um, maybe 32 I know the um, pregnancy was in 2017. And so we decided that we'd start trying. So I started kind of working out more. I never have an issue like getting pregnant. So if I decide like we're going to start and start eating better and working out within three to four months, I can, you know, I've been, my history has been able to get pregnant. And so within a short amount of time, found out that we were pregnant, excited, called the doctor. Um, and she had me coming in, I think at six to eight weeks at this time. And we kind of talked about a plan because I'm, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm the questions person. I'm like, hey, we know what we've had going on before. What kind of what can we do? How can we really make sure that we're going to be on top of this? And like I said, I had a great medical team. That's something that I really emphasize to people, someone that I trusted, that I've seen her work with me sure. throughout the years. And I know that she cared for me um, and my family. And so she said that, you know, I don't really know what happened, but as we look at, you know, your paperwork and all that, and it was perfect. She said, I think you may have something called incompetent cervix, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure because we can't diagnose it unless you're pregnant. And I was like, incompetent, sir. I was like, I hate that word, incompetent. I know it is, why it is a bad word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm like, why am I, why is my service incompetent? And what is this thing? Right. And so she began to kind of explain what it was. And I was like, okay. And she said, I'm going to want you to go over to this high-risk doctor. And so I'm in Mobile, Alabama. There's a hospital called USA, which is combined with the University of South Alabama. And so they have like the high-risk doctors, the people 
people that really research additional things that she's not, it's not her specialty. And so she said, I'm going to work hand in hand with this person and I'm sending you now to this other doctor. Mm -hmm. His name was Dr. Brocato. My doctor is Dr. McGrath. And so he was a guy and she said, you're going to go see him and we're going to just measure this service weekly. And so in eight weeks, <laughs> I started to go over there. I met him and he kind of told me the process and he basically laid it all out, which I liked. He was like, hey, um, I've looked at your chart. Don't really know what happened. Can you tell me? And I'm like, no, it was normal. I had nothing you know, crazy going on that would make me say, hey, I need to go to the doctor. And he said, well, this is the plan. He said, we're going to measure you weekly. He said, a normal cervix is this length. I think in pregnancy, what, two and a half Mm -hmm. to maybe five centimeters. And so he said, if at any time you get below that, I'm going to want to do a surgery so we can do what's called a TVC, a T, yeah, a transvaginal circlage. And it's a stitch, it's an in-house surgery, and that's going to kind of hold the um, service to kind of keep it from expanding. And he was like, and I'm just letting you know that if that, this is going to be immediate, you know, and I'm like, okay, all right, you know, and so I'm just going along and everything's like it was the first time. It's, It's perfect, just going great. And I'm going in at this time now. I'm going in every week, right? Eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks, and I go in on my lunch break, and I hey, and they listen to the baby's heartbeat and give me a picture and check the cervix, and it's like four and a half, five. I mean, just doing great, great, great. Right. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So by this time, you know, I'm still keeping up my other doctor's appointment with my. Um, what do y'all call it? Maternal feet thing? Uh-huh. Maternal fetal medicine. Uh-huh. The MFM, Dr. McGrath. And she's like, oh, I'm connected with Dr. Bocato. Everything's going great. And I'm like, yay. And so by, I guess, about 17 or 18 weeks, maybe 19, I don't remember. But because I'm going so often, I think I got to know the six a little earlier than most people would because it would be kind of further out. Sure. And right. so got to know the six and wanted to do a gender reveal. And I was like, oh, put it in an envelope. We're going to do a gender reveal at the house and so um of course I'm not letting people know I'm pregnant just because of what's happened and so right. unless you're seeing me at work or at church people don't know and so I did a private Facebook um group to do a reveal where people could come in and view it and so we did okay. balloons I gave a friend the card or my husband he wanted to know but I didn't want to know <laughs> so he knew and I gave her the card and she went and got the balloon that had whatever color and we did just like light snacks and decorated the living room with you know pink and blue and balloons and it was cool I still have this footage so it's nice to kind of go back to from time to time Yeah. and we did the reveal and so I popped the balloon it's a girl which is what I wanted because I'm surrounded by boys. If you heard earlier, all these men, right. and I'm like, yay, a girl. And so that's probably around 17, 18 weeks. And I'm just still in the back of my mind, kind of worried. Cause even with that, I'm like, do I do the gender reveal? Do you know, I'm getting these sure. people all involved sure. in this. Sure. And I guess it's about maybe 20, 21 weeks. And I, let me ask, were you feeling better because you had gotten further along than yes. you had with the first pregnancy? I was yeah. feeling better, but it was still like, but what like if? A little bit of a yeah. nagging. Like, sort of, man, mm-hmm. I've just done this reveal. What if, you know? Right, um, right. And I really think that was about 17 to 18 weeks when we okay. did that. Okay. Um, and I remember going on, I'm still going to the... Um, I'm still going to the weekly cervical checks and they're checking in every week. And it's like an hour visit, you know, so it's kind of in and out, not long. 
Um, and so that's going on in viability. I think it's 24 weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So around like maybe 22 ish, 23 ish. Um, I went somewhere. Oh, and at this time my doctor is telling me, cause we don't know if it's incompetent service. And she's like, Oh Lord. She's like, Kalisha, I need you to sit down somewhere. And I'm like, okay, but what do you mean sit down? I'm, you know, I do this, I do that. <laughs> and it's not on bed rest yet. And so she's just like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm going to work, but I can work from home most times. And then sometimes I would tr- travel. And she's like, no, I don't want you traveling. And I'm like, okay. So I stopped doing that. I'm like, but can I go to the grocery store? She's like, no. I'm like, can I go to church? She's like, no, you need to do what's absolutely necessary. If it's not necessary, don't go. And I'm just like, man, I got to be in this house. Can't do anything, you know, just like, that's not my life. Definitely wasn't used to that. And so I ended up, um, definitely was listening, doing better, not traveling. But that one night, I think I ended up going to dinner somewhere. And, um, when I went to the restroom to just wipe myself, I noticed a little white discharge. So nothing crazy. And I'm like, okay, they said, previously they also tell me if anything changes if you see anything coming in sure. and so that little white discharge i was like well this is something i've not seen this before i'm going in so i call my husband i'm like hey i'm going to the hospital you need to meet me it's probably about eight something on some night so i had to go through the emergency room at right. the other hospital where the high risk um, folks are and so i go in and um had never really gone to that hospital and this is one i think that they well, just see all types of patients. And so when I went in, I remember them asking the questions, like separating me and my husband and like, are you going through this? Are you going through that? And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not going through all this stuff. <laughs> um, I'm not knowing why they're asking. And I find out later just because of some women are in situations where they need some help. You know? Yeah, we have to ask separately. Yeah. yeah. And so again, they get me in a room. And so basically they do an ultrasound or maybe check me with a hand or something. And they're like the... This is where the palm PP. Um, so basically the mucus was coming out. Okay. All of the mucus was just coming out um, and leaving around the baby. The baby still had a really high heart rate, though. And so they're like, OK, this mucus is coming. We can't really stop it. The heart rate is good. But um, they're trying to figure out a way to kind of slow down this mucus plug. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm trying to kind of just stop coming out all that water that surrounds the baby. And so, so did they think your water had broken? They thought it had broken, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Eventually they, it, it, Oh, let me go back. Okay. Let's go back. So before the dinner, um, so at 17 weeks, so we did the gender reveal and all that good stuff at 17 weeks at one of these, um, cervical weekly um checks Uh they saw that the service was shrinking got it okay and so at 17 weeks he comes in dr brocato and he's like hey we had this conversation we're gonna need to do this surgery i was telling you about and i was like oh gosh okay and it was about noon i said well when do you need to do it he was like tomorrow I was like, tomorrow? Like, I can't, because I need time to process. And that's not really giving me a lot of time. And he's like, yeah, tomorrow. He was like, do you want me to do it or Dr. McGrath? And I was like, gosh. And so I was like, well, I want her to do it. You know, I trust her. Not that I don't trust you, but, you know, I want her to do it. I just feel more comfortable with her. And so I had to come in and do an in-office or outpatient surgery. Um, Had to get a 
epidural in my back to get this you know it was it was serious even though outpatient is just like just so scary I had never had surgery never gotten a shot in my back before um to numb me from down there um and she came in she did the surgery everything went great so she was able to put that stitch right did she did they say how short your cervix is by that time i think it was maybe 1.7 or may have been something around there it was less than a 2.5 it may have been closer to five but i don't know if they could have done it at five i don't realize at first and so i remember when they told me i had um the incompetent service doing some research and I saw that that affected about maybe 20 to 30% of women. It's not a lot of people. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, really? Okay. And so then as we're talking about the um, the stitch now, I'm asking, hey, well, what's the success rate of this? How is this? How many have you done? Do you have anybody currently on the stitch? How right. are they doing? You know, just asking those questions. And they're like, well, it's about 60% success rate with this. And I'm like, okay. Um, you know, we've got it at a good enough time. We think you'll be okay, but really now you got to sit down. And so definitely, um, started, didn't go to church, didn't go to the garden, didn't do any of this stuff. Got it. So that's when she was telling you, like you had needed to back down back with all down of the with activities all of that. and everything. Yes. Okay. And then you get to the point where, um, you, then you have this mucus discharge and they're like, you need to, if anything happens, you need to come in. And that's when you went in. Yeah, that's when I went in. Sorry, I skipped that. No, that's um, okay. So then when I went in and they're checking and they see that this mucus discharge, um, they're trying to decide whether I remember to cut the stitch mm-hmm. or leave it in. They're not knowing, like, do we need to cut the stitch? Does she need to go into deliver? What are we going to do? Yeah, because sometimes we worry it's, infe- is there some sort of infection that's okay. developing? Yes. Um, so that may have been one of the concerns. Did they mention anything about that at all that you remember? I don't remember. I just okay. remember them trying to figure it out until like maybe my doctor got there. Or one of the doctors could really check me. Um, I think those were like nurses at the time. Got it. Um, got I was it. on the maternal unit. They sent me up. And so when my doctor, Dr. McGrath, or one of them came in, they saw that that mucus was kind of just coming out. Baby's heart rate, they're checking that all the time because they have the um what is the thing called where they put over your belly to listen Uh and check the the heart rate monitor and everything Mm -hmm. right and so that's going strong the whole time and they're like okay so they come in and they're like okay Kalisha you know the mucus is coming we're gonna try to put you in this position where they kind of lean the bed back and my feet are Mm -hmm. up and they're gonna try to see if that will help any mucus kind of go back inside or keep the mucus from coming out and I think it was like on a Friday because that happened on a Thursday night. And she's like, you know, we're going to try this over the weekend and we're going to really try to see if this will help. And she's like, no, we got to have some tough conversations. And I'm like, OK. And she's like, if this doesn't happen, we're going to have to go into labor because we can't. Um, this is when we start talking about infections. If got this it. continues okay. to happen something can be detrimental for you right and so we know that we can't save the baby we want to be able to save you and so when i come back on monday um if such and such hasn't happened this is what we're going to need to do and i'm like okay i'm just listening i'm like oh my gosh calling everybody texting like my family my dad i'm really close with him my brothers and i'm just like this is what's going on need everybody to be on the prayer chain this is what's happening not understanding kind of all of it. And I remember I had this nurse, Lord, bless her heart, 
<laughs> she just was, I guess in her mind, she had already figured out what was going to happen because maybe she'd seen this before. And so her spirit was just kind of down in the dumps. And I'm just a like half glass, half full person. Just sure. Optimistically, that's just my personality naturally. And I remember kind of, and I needed that to kind of be going on to just keep me sane in the right, situation right, right. because I didn't want to go crazy. And so I remember telling her, I was like, hey, we're going to have to get th- get it together. I'm going to have to get someone else in here because I can't have you walking around like it's already over yes. because it's not yes. over. And so I'm just hoping that this is happening. And so um, I remember maybe that Sunday. Oh, and they were saying that if I got a fever, I remember they were like, if you get a fee, if any of these things happen. And so I ended, I was doing good. I was like, Oh, Friday. Yes. Came through Saturday. Yes. And I think it was like Sunday. I ended up getting this fever. I did get some kind of, I threw up. I remember throwing up and it was just like, Oh man. Yeah. At that point. Yeah. Cause then it's, it's, you're getting sick. Essentially it's an infection developed and it's spread, spread throughout your body. And then the only way to, to fix that, unfortunately is to end the pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I remember that's what they said. And so I think Monday morning the nurse comes in and she's like, here's your medicine. And I'm like, what medicine I need to know. And she's like, this is the Pitocin. Is that right? Pitocin. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's that? She was like, well, it's going to start the delivery process. And I said, no, I don't want it. And she's like, Dr. McGrath ordered this. I said, I don't care. I don't want it. I said, I want to talk to NICU. And she's like, well, you know that NICU doesn't come until 24 weeks, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's great. I don't want this Pitocin. I want to talk to NICU. Right. The nurse goes back out and she's like discouraged. She's like, oh, Lord. And then my phone rings and it's Dr. McGrath. <laughs> she's like Kalisha and I'm like yep and she's talking through all the stuff and what we've gone over and Dr. Bocato's coming in and checking too from this time the high risk doctor sure and um and I said yeah I understand that and I don't I want to talk to the NICU and I'm sure now she's probably putting on the clothes because she's like okay this girl and she knows me so she's like okay and so they go in and they try to see if I can talk to NICU and they come back in and like NICU you know you have to be 24 weeks you're only 22 point something weeks um and I said I don't care I want to talk to the NICU I want to see if there's because the heartbeat this whole time is so strong it's still strong the heartbeat's still going and as a mom as a fighter as a strong woman, I'm not wanting to give up on my baby, right, you know? Right, and right. so I just kept pushing to the surgeon of NICU ended up coming to my room. Um, I remember my husband being like, why are you giving these people a hard time? They're trying to help you. And I'm like, I don't care about these people. That's great. Their job is to help me. I need to know if something can be done. Sure. And so the surgeon of NICU comes in the room <laughs> and he's like, hey, I'm like, hi. He's like, we're going through things. And he was so nice because he really said he listened. As I was telling him, like my time zone, he got them to go back and look at my chart to make sure that I was really this many weeks because I was measuring a little bit off. And by the time I finished talking to him, he had agreed to have NICU in there when I delivered. And I didn't know if that was going to help, but I did know that as a mama, I tried my best. Sure. And so um, when Dr. McGrath came in, um, I told them that I would take the Pitocin now because I got NICU in and I'm, I'm ready to go. And so they gave me the Pitocin and we began to kind of go through labor, you know, having contractions, all that good stuff. And um, at a certain point, I had to deliver the baby. Okay. And so 
delivered the baby. Um, she was stillborn. Um, Nikki was in there. They immediately got her, tried to work on her, tried to see what they could do. But unfortunately, there was nothing they could do. But I was right. thankful that they tried and they were in there. If I wouldn't have said anything, and I know normally they're not, they wouldn't have been in there. Right. Um, but I know that I did all I could do. Sure. And so even after delivering the baby, I had to deliver the afterbirth, um, the placenta, mm -hmm. which was hard, you know. And so I'm there. I remember she had one leg. My He had one leg. And I'm just pushing and crying and just, I'm like, man, this is something, you know. And so after I delivered the baby, I did get to look at the baby. I wanted the baby this time. Mm -hmm. um, and so my husband and I sat there and we just looked. We talked to her, prayed. Um, and then they took her so that they could get her ready for whichever way we wanted to take her body home. And they came back with the pictures and all of that good stuff. And um, I remember my doctor just crying with me. She was like, Kalisha, you know, I'm just so sorry for you. She's like, I've worked with so many different women and you've done the stuff the right way. You've done this. And it's just disheartening when you see someone who's tried to do it the right way um, versus people that, you know, may have not taken the best care of themselves, may have been taking certain drugs and that, you know, right, during pregnancy right, and right. have a perfect pregnancy. And I remember her just kind of breaking down, not not unprofessionally or where, but just, you know, like just sharing that moment with me. And um, this was also like around my birthday. It was like two days before my birthday that year. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was just a hard time. Um, and so after delivering the baby, I remember my dad wanted to come see me, my family, because they we just rally around each other. And I remember my husband like, no, y'all just we got to have this moment, give her this time. And I remember my doctor coming in and I was um, the high risk doctor at this time because he's around during the whole time. And he said, Kalisha, he said, I know um, that you may not want to hear this, but if you do want to. Um, if you're ever thinking about doing this again, there's one other option that I want you to consider. And I was like, okay, what is he talking about? Cause I'm not ever doing this again. Right. Um, <laughs> and he said, it's called the tag. And I said, okay. And I just kind of put that in the back of my head and I was like, okay. And he kind of left it alone. And so, um, we went home, uh, I, before I went home, I remember Dr. McGrath coming in and I said, is there any type of group? I said, this is hard. I right. said, I've just lost my second baby. I'm only 33 years. I don't have any prior issues. Like what local groups do we have that deal with this? Your husband doesn't understand. If your family hadn't gone through it, they don't understand. And then we have people that say crazy things, not realizing they're crazy, you know. Well, if you didn't have on those types of shoes, if you didn't mm -hmm. have, you know, just certain things that don't even have to do with that, that places guilt on the mom, which that's just not okay when you're already feeling guilty that your body can't do what a woman's body is supposed to do. And that's Absolutely. carry a baby. Right. Right, and so right. she gives me the name of this organization. I write it down, kind of tuck it in and prepare to go home. And so um, I remember going home and just feeling just mad. I was really upset. And I was like, God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why this is happening to me. And about day three being at home, my husband's gone back to work. He he dealt with it, but then it's like, I got to get to work. Right. I got to put it out of my mind. And I remember just crying in the shower, just like being so mad, just frustrated and crying. And I remember that day three on the couch and I'm like, God, okay, I've told you I'm mad. 
but now what do you want me to do with this? That was like a question I had. And I was just like, just put it out there. What am I to do with this? What am I to do with this hurt, this pain? And I began looking up that tag. I was like, let me see what Dr. Brocato is talking about. <laughs> so I started looking it up. Transabdominal surclage. And I'm right. just Googling. So wait, I'm sorry. Let me say like before. So you, you've had now two second trimester pregnancy losses. Yes. And now you've, you're, you're thinking like my body it has failed me. Yes. Has it done what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forgot to ask it at either time. Did you have any pain or was it always these sort of no, like either bleeding? Never. So never and had so any that's, pain. I think was another uh-huh. thing why they didn't know the first time and they were right. like, well, you know, we're going to th- say it's this, but we don't know. No, never pain. Just these discharges. Gotcha. So you've had these two losses and then just a few days after the second loss, you start looking at the, the trans abdominal surclage. Mm-hmm. I'm wow. sitting on the couch. I'm at home by myself. Now I wasn't ready at that time for it, sure, but I'm just sure, needing sure. to prepare my, I'm like, what is this? And so I, um, that's in March. I find this YouTube video. I don't even remember who it was of this girl talking about it. And she's like, and I got this and I had had this many losses. And after getting this, um, I had this successful pregnancy. Here's the baby, blah, blah, blah. And you're seeing the baby. I'm like, okay. And so then she put like two resource groups on there. One was on Facebook and it's called Abby Loopers Rainbow Kids or Abby Loopers. And so I go to that page and now I see hundreds to thousands of women that have gotten this surgery and they have babies. They have rainbow babies. Never heard of that term. And they have one rainbow babies, two rainbow but twins. Some of them have had two losses, three, four, multiple losses. And they're all over the country. And they're talking about um, this these doctors that do this all over the world. And there were four like top doctors names that kept coming up. I mean, women from India, women from all over the world, just right. in this group talking about um, their situations and now showing these babies. So they had the one group for Abby Loopers and then they had a separate group that were the same Abby Loopers with the rainbow babies. Okay. And then they also had a website that kind of broke down the doctors that did trans abdominal surclages in your state. So you could go to that website, like get some information. Um, the lady that started it like years ago had a set of twins through um, a, a, an abdominal surclage. And so now it's all this information and I'm like, cool and so I'm looking and looking and from time to time I kind of would look back and kind of see what they were talking about and I remember um there was one name that kind of kept coming up and it was Dr. Haney, Arthur Haney. He was in Chicago and he was like the top of the top. So it's those four ones, but then he was like the, the top name that people kept coming to. Right. And so I remember probably that was in March. I remember kind of April talking to my husband about it and was like, hey, you know, how are you feeling? And he's like, I'm good, you know, not really. And I said, well, I know you don't want to talk about this. Um, I said, but in about six months, we're going to talk about this because I may want to do this one more time. And I said, if I do, I only have one more time in me. <laughs> but um, let's let's just put spend some time to kind of do some other stuff and then let's talk about it later. And I remember that May, we went to Disney World on Mother's Day. And it was like one of the best uh, Mother's Days because usually I would deal with the loss of my mom not having her. And now I'm grieving two babies as well. 
And so, um, and people don't think that, you know, if you've lost babies, you've carried babies, even if you've delivered a baby, that you're not a mama. And I'm like, no, I'm a mama. (laughs) You know, I've carried a a baby with a living heartbeat in me twice. I'm a mother. My babies are just in, in heaven. And so um, we went to Disney World, had a great time. It was like the best Mother's Day that I probably have ever had um, since this one with my rainbow baby. And just kind of tried to kind of get out of our heads about, you know, all that we had gone through um, in the midst of all of that. And so maybe around that summer, I had decided that if I did this, it would be Dr. Haney because he just was the the top person. And I had just gone through too much hurt to to just not. And so I remember talking to my doctor, Dr. McGrath, and saying, hey, I think I want to do this other surgery. I said, Dr. Brocato, talk to me about it um, when we were in the hospital. And wh- what do you know about it? And she's like, well, I have maybe, t- I think at the time, maybe she had one person that she was, um, that was in her care that um, had had it and they were doing okay. She couldn't tell me their name, you know, that sure. they were pregnant at the time. And I was like, okay. And I said, well, I really want to do this. And she was like, okay. I said, um, and she said, I think Dr. Brocato does it. And I said, okay. So um, I remember going and talking to him about it. And he was like, I, I do do it. And I'm like, how many have you done? What's the success rate? And all of that stuff. And I think at that time he had only done four or maybe six. And I was like, okay. I looked it up myself. I saw the success rate was like 80 to 90% versus the 60% with the TVC. And I um, continued to do my research and I start seeing Dr. Haney's name on that group, start seeing these women, how they were being able to have this success rate, how he was doing multiple bands and how I was just doing after also doing some research on the tech too, kind of trying to figure out what's the difference, how does this now work? Um, and so that tag where the transvaginal surclots, they just tied the bottom of the cervix with a stitch that they just cut open. It's like a little, well, it's probably thicker than a <laughs> thread, but it looks like that to me. Um, that transabdominal surclots, they actually cut open your abdomen yeah, and a- they go in like a C-section mm-hmm. and they t- tie the top of the cervix with these bands that are thicker like shoestrings. You can explain right. better. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're it, describing it perfectly well. Like that's exactly what happens. It's a much more involved procedure. You do it in um, not very many people in the country know how yeah. to do it. Um, I've practiced for 15 years. I've never seen it done. So wow. it's, it's just not something that is very common. It's really you have to go to a specialized person. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like in your case, you decided that you were definitely going to do it it was just a matter of who was going to do it yeah of who um Uh after i mean after i kind of did the research and so once i talked to dr brocato i said well no offense i love you but i'm gonna have to go to someone that just has a little bit more experience in this area because i've never been cut open like that before you know (laughs) um even though it's similar to a c-section i had never had one of those either and so he said okay i understand i'll go back to dr mcgrath i said i want to do this and she says okay before you do this let me um rule out everything else because that's how she is that's why I love her and she was like because I want to make sure that that's your only issue let's do this fallopian tube test and make sure both your fallopian tubes are working right let's do this dye test let's do this so I said well let's do your stuff before I make this appointment with him and so we did the dye fallopian tube test she was able to see that everything was flowing right and um, able to see that as far as she knew I had no other issues and so I remember calling Dr. Um, Haney's office that summer and was like, hey, I want to, you know, have a consultation. And so he does them over the phone. 
And so he gets on the phone with me, asks me my history. I kind of give him a brief history. And I remember those first words of, I can help you. And I was just like, oh, my God. He was like, I can help you. This will work for you. And so he asked me to get my doctors to send over um, all my medical charts, which they did. And so we made an appointment, I think, for December of 2018. Okay. Or 2017. Yeah. Yeah. As an OBGYN and podcast host, I'm excited to share a resource that empowers mothers and mothers-to-be in managing their pelvic floor and core health. It's called Informed Pregnancy Plus, and it offers access to essential workshops that can significantly enhance your understanding and care of your body during and after pregnancy. Discover the Core Connection, a foundational five-episode series by Natalie Headings, a pre-postnatal exercise specialist. This series covers the basics of pelvic floor health, teaches key postural adjustments, and shows you how to activate your core properly. For a more comprehensive experience, check out Mindful Movement. This premium series provides in-depth content, including practical exercises and personalized strategies to strengthen your body. It's like having a pelvic health expert in your home. You can try the full subscription streaming library of Informed Pregnancy Plus absolutely free. Visit informedpregnancy.tv to start an empowered journey toward a healthier motherhood. Take this step for your health, your body, and your baby will thank you. Um, and so made the appointment, had to go through insurance. So here we go. Insurance wants to deny it because they say that it's not necessary. This is an elective surgery. It's not necessary for you to have. Um, and I remember some lady saying that in the group. So, of course, I went back to my doctors. I'm like, however, y'all got to write this up. It needs to be necessary because it can be like a thirty to 50000 It's an expensive surgery. Sure. Um, and so I definitely wanted my insurance to cover whatever it could cover. Of course, it wasn't going to cover travel and all that stuff. I'm already having to go to Chicago from Alabama. And so they look at it again and they approve it. And so I scheduled to have the surgery in February of 2018. And so I'm looking in the groups. I'm kind of seeing what's happening. Um, the assistant is emailing me because they have a routine where you come in a day ahead of time just in case um, you come to the hospital, University of Chicago, to have the surgery done. And then they also like you to stay one night at the hospital and then another night at a nearby hotel where he'll either come and visit you or check on you to make sure you're good. And so I remember reading through the groups of how much pain people were going in and they're trying to decide, should you fly? Should you drive? And I'm like, oh, God, am I really going to do this? This is painful. I've never been cut. I hate pain. And I had to start reading it because I'm like, I'm doing this. Right, I want right. my one more chance. I got to see, you know. Um, and so I decided to stop reading it, except for like the useful stuff, like bring your gas eggs and your pillow sure. to put on right, your belly. Right, right. And so we scheduled for February 5th of 2018, I think, to get the surgery done. And so we go to New Orleans and fly out of, the day, out of there because it's cheaper and it's southwest and it's um, two hours from here. And so go we fly to chicago it's freezing of course um it's been a couple of days just kind of hanging out and then on february the 5th i go in and i meet dr Haney for the first time in person um and he tells me and my husband how the surgery is gonna go and what it's gonna look like and um i go in i have the surgery and so come out 
He comes back and he tells me that he put four bands on there. They're tight. They're good. And basically, this now gives you the elasticity of holding uh, up to 100 pounds, um, which your baby will not be. But just giving that service the strength that it needs because that's kind of what's been happening. And so surgery goes great. Only issues I had was from the pain medicine. I don't do well with that. Um, but watch me overnight, had the best nurses. They called the Uber and set up Uber for, I mean, to get us back to the hotel, got back to the hotel. Um, I think I may have showered the next morning and then had to get on an airplane and fly back home <laughs> with the pillow over my belly, walking through the airport some, just a crazy experience just to come back and, um, at that time, I wasn't ready to get pregnant, so definitely did not. I think I got back on the Nuva ring and just didn't know when I wanted to happen, but definitely um, was had to have happy to have had the surgery. Came back and you know talked to my doctor about it. She knew um, Doctor um, Haney sent her a whole like four page list of now how to handle this gotcha. because for the follow up appointment, I did go to her, so okay. she needed to make sure that the cut was healing right, it wasn't swollen, um, I was cleaning it well, and Whatever he used, I guess it just um, evaporated because she didn't have to take any stitches or anything out. Okay. So then ultimately, what was the time frame between when you had the surgery and then when you got pregnant? Yeah, it was like a year. I found out close to a year later. Wow. So, yeah. So that um, holiday time, November, December, we started talking about trying again. And so I got off the NuvaRing and by February of 2019, around that same time frame, I found out I was pregnant. Okay. And I think I was, yeah, about maybe around six, eight weeks or whatever. I missed my cycle and took a test at home. Gotcha. That's how I was. No, I take the test at home and call them and say, hey, I have a positive test. And so I come in and I tell the doctor and I'm also excited about this tag because with that transvaginal circlage, as I said before, you can't go underwear. They're like, sit down, don't do this. The other thing that really appealed to me about the, the tag is that you could take baths. You didn't have to stop having sex. Like you could have a normal pregnancy like these women that are lifting weights and doing stuff that you're like, really? You know, you're, you're like, you're doing that and pregnant. I could barely move two feet before my doctor's fussing at me. And so it's supposed to give you more options. You can swim and you can, you know, walk in the park if you want. It's, it gives you more options um, along with being able to carry the baby successfully. Um, so that was something else that appealed to me about it. And so, um, went to see her and they still set me up for those like weekly checks which I like because that's kind of how she is and this time she kind of did it all in-house I don't think I may have gone to high risk a couple times but we felt comfortable with the tax she had dealt with a few patients not a lot that had had it and kind of knew what to do and definitely Dr. Haney's office was a, a great support if needed and so went on through the pregnancy and had a great pregnancy I was still able to travel for work Um, I wasn't flying, so just car travel, but, um, yeah, it went smoothly. I remember doing the gender reveal with just some friends. It was more low key this time, but just, um, then sharing that with my family. It was the first time I was able to have a baby shower, which was really special. First time that I started, um, even having a nursery or getting ideas in my Pinterest board about what I would want that to look like because I'm getting bigger. And every time I would always show larger so people would know, but this time, you know, I'm just, Still in the back of my mind, though, you got the tag, you got all this elastic. I'm waking up and I'm like, it's the belly still here. Is it, you know, is this, I'm, I'm still doing those checks. I think all the way up to about 37 weeks. I didn't tell anyone, didn't put it on social media until about 37 weeks 
after I had done some maternity photos, I did a post with um, the website I have that kind of supports women and kind of shared my story and some of the info and have had people reach out. I, even one girl that I didn't even know that a um, former high school classmate knew, um, one of her sorority sisters reached out and has now gone and had the surgery herself with Dr. Haney. Oh, wow. Wow. So this pregnancy went totally normal. You went all the way to full term and had a C with the trans abdominal cerclage, you do have to have a C-section. Mm-hmm. So at, at what point were you 39 weeks when you had the C-section? So we scheduled it for 38 because my doctor was just like, you know, I want to do that at 38. I don't want you to get um, bigger and bigger. And I was like, well, I think it needs to be 39. And I'm doing my research and she's like, no, studies show or the her research shows 38. I'm like, well, mine is saying 39. So we're going <laughs> back and forth on that. I'm not the doctor, but of course she knows me and I'm just like, well, whatever's best. And so I'm still going weekly. And I think around... Um, I had a high blood pressure scare. No, it was a headache scare. I had this headache that wouldn't go away overnight. And so they brought me in and they checked my pressure and it was high when I came in because of the um, the headache. And then it went away. And so that worried her. Like, She's definitely just on top of all this stuff. And she's like, um, let's see when I did the glucose test or the sugar test. Um, I think I failed. And so I ended up having the gestational diabetes during this one because now I'm 35 and pregnant. So I'm what they call, what are, what do y'all call us? Uh, advanced, <laughs> the, advanced, maternal, advanced maternal age yeah, or geriatric, geriatric pregnancy. I'm yeah. like, here we go again. So I have all these other <laughs> things to worry about. Not only do I have income, and now I'm 35 and I'm, I'm pregnant. Right. Um, and so just all of that, just care and making sure I'm good and just following up. I, by the end, I was coming to the doctor twice got it which i love i mean it got on my nerves but i definitely love that they took really good care of her so we were scheduled for 38 and at 37 i came in at one of those appointments and when they would put the thing on the belly to hear maybe something didn't she didn't like how it sounded or maybe something happened or i was getting closer because she ended up calling high risk and they were like you need to go ahead and just schedule her so i think i ended up being scheduled earlier and so she came at 37 weeks my baby okay her name's Callie she was six pounds four ounces no NICU time um and And the surgery went well and the recovery went well went well recovery went well I opted to get my tubes tied because I knew I didn't want to do this okay I just cannot do this anymore okay um the surgery and this it was like my one last hurrah it was if this didn't work I was gonna have to try something else because the other part is that each time you're getting pregnant you're gaining this way you're trying to I mean your body goes through a lot to not even have the the aftermath of the baby and so just trying to get my body back myself back to a a sane mind you know right um I just could not do it again even though Dr. Haney's like you know what's gonna happen you're gonna hold that baby you know what you're gonna say I said I'm gonna say I'm so thankful that this has finally happened he's like no you're gonna be like I want another one which has yet to happen for me I'm good because I have her my earth baby and my two angel babies but yes perfect pregnancy no issues six pounds four ounces um left the hospital in four days i'm a breastfeeding mama so we latched on and worked with the lactating specialist we're trying to wean now but um breastfed baby 13 months it's been well that's lovely that is lovely and you still have the cerclage correct 
I still have it. So in case I changed my mind, <laughs> I mean, I didn't give it because it would it'd be too much to try to get rid of it. And so, yeah, I because you don't get rid of no, it. Many don't. people, yeah, they go ahead it, and yeah. have three, four, you know, five. I'm just my heart. I, I'm not I, even as optimistic as I am. It's just I don't want to just put my body and now I'm 35. Can you imagine Jesus? No, this is well. <laughs> gotcha. 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 So. Gosh, what an experience. Yeah. Uh, and just, I mean, that's just a lot. Did you at any point get like professional counseling? Or yes. Help, whether, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after the first loss, I think I started seeing my counselor. Okay. And then in between, he's actually a guy, but he works for me. Um, and I'm a, he's a Christian counselor. In between, I think after the second one, my husband and I did together. Um, and then with the last one, I may have seen them as needed, but not as often as I did those first times. Yeah, gotcha. I definitely needed that. I mean, the prayer and all of that is great, but I definitely advocate to have someone to talk to to kind of help you through your thoughts because everybody's not understanding kind of what you're going through. And like I said, people say things that, you know, they don't mean this could be people that love you or even just with the, a spouse, you know, men and women handle these things totally different um, depending on their personalities, their um, previous experience. Like I said, my, he already had two sons. And so I'm like, you know, you already know this feeling. I don't, yes, I do care for them in a way but you know it's just different and so definitely needed to have that gotcha gotcha well that's really and that can sometimes be hard especially I think for um, you know I don't well one thing like I don't think we as the medical community recommend that enough and then sometimes people can I don't know depending on black communities and yeah, thoughts right. about counseling mm-hmm. and the church sometimes Correct. can give you a difficult time about counseling but it sounds like you found um something that was really supportive. Thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how the group also, um, when I started, it's called womb and it's just a support group. We don't meet as often now through just COVID and other stuff. Um, but, um, we were meeting like, I think weekly or every other week. And that was a good help for me because even before I got pregnant with Callie, as I would, I found a book, it was called grieving the child I never knew. And so it was a lady that wrote kind of her experiences. And as I would like read through the book and kind of pick out the stuff that we were going to talk about at the meeting, that was kind of healing as well, because I had to deal with my own emotions as I'm coming now and dealing with emotions with other women. Um, So that was healing for me as well, I think. Gotcha. 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 Well, just to wrap up, what would you say is your favorite piece of advice to give to a pregnant person or someone even thinking about pregnancy? What's your favorite piece of advice? I think one is to really know your body, like know your body and to really have the difficult and hard conversations with like your medical team. Um, One of the things that's disheartening to me is when I talk to women and they tell me their experiences that they've had through pregnancy, especially those in the black community. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very disheartening of how the doctors treat them, of how You know, um, they're with a certain practice, but then when they go to deliver the baby, it's someone that they don't even know, someone that's not even in, I mean, that doesn't even understand the issues that they've been dealing with, um, how people will not even listen to them when they're saying, this is how I'm feeling, this is what's going on. I, I, I didn't experience that because my doctor, she just was so good and she's an awesome doctor, but even the relationship that we've had over the years. And I know it can be hard if you're moving and different things, but even when I 
um, got the pediatrician for my daughter before she was born. I went in and had meetings with different ones to ask questions because that's important to me. I like to ask questions. I like to know. Even when you tell me something, I want to do my own research. You know, I want to have the option to choose for myself unless it's a life or death experience. And so I think just really um, educating yourself, not being afraid to listen to your gut, and then working in, in line with them like as a partner. So if you have time to think about a procedure, think through some things that are not life or death, um, definitely do that and make sure you interview the right doctors. It's okay for people that I, I don't think we think that, you know, you can you cannot choose this person and 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 go to multiple doctors mm-hmm. and ask questions and say this is kind of what I've done before. They have appointments just for consultations um, to get the right fit. I think that's the most important. Love it, love it, love it. That is, it is that is excellent, excellent advice. So, where can women connect with you if they're interested in connecting with you? Sure, um, I have a site. I need to revamp it, but definitely check it. It has a part for like prayer requests. It has some of my story with the tech and my first experience of loss and it's called thewombgroup.com and it's T-H-E-W-O-M-B as in boy G-R-O-U-P.com I love it. Well, thank you so much. I and mean, of course, we'll link that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. You, I just love your story. Like it's a story of strength, of perseverance, of kind of knowing yourself and what, you know, you could do. Everybody comes to different options and choices. And it felt like you were very comfortable and confident in yourself and deciding what was best for you in the moment along this, this journey. And that's just really wonderful. Yeah. It took me some time to get there. Cause I didn't know at first, you know, but just with research and praying and just really looking at my body, what it can do. I, I knew I could get pregnant. I knew that wasn't the issue. I knew that once we kind of, you know, and so I had to kind of really come to grips with how I was going to work out these other pieces. If I really wanted to, you know, have a baby. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much, Kalisha, for coming on to the podcast again. I appreciate it. And you take care. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Wasn't that a great episode? It's nice to see that Kalisha ultimately had a successful birth after having had two very difficult pregnancies. Now, you know, after every episode where I have a guest on, I do something called Nicole's Notes, which is where I give my top three or four takeaways from the episode. So here are my Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Kalisha. Number one, I admire how she pushed until she got a resolution for what she needed in order to feel good about how things went with her second birth and when she pushed to get a NICU consult. Now, to be clear, I am not saying that you should push for everything to be done or anything like that. What I'm saying is that you need to always do whatever it is that is under your control in order to help you feel better about a situation during your pregnancy, during your birth, really even during your life. We don't have control over everything, but we do have control over some things. So take control of the things that you can control. Number two, 
When someone has a pregnancy loss, don't say anything about what they could have done differently unless they ask for your opinion. Please don't give any unsolicited advice. Most pregnant people I have found do not want unsolicited advice about the things that they could have done differently. I know it often comes from a place of wanting to be helpful, but it really isn't. So some things that you can say instead are, I'm sorry that happened to you, or I don't know what to say. Just know that I'm thinking about you and wishing you well, but please don't give any unsolicited advice about what the person could have done differently. Number three, when you have multiple pregnancy losses, it can be really, really difficult to decide what to do. I want you to know that whatever decision you make is the right decision for you. Maybe you decide to have adoption. Maybe you decide to pursue having a surrogate. Maybe you decide that you're not going to have children. Just know that whatever choice you make, that is the right choice for you. And then the final thing I will say is that if you need to, please get professional help in order to help you process pregnancy loss. We're getting better about talking about it in our society and making it not quite so taboo, but there's still room for improvement. So don't be afraid to seek out professional help with counseling if need be, you know, a therapist in order to help you process your pregnancy loss. All right, so there you have it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to me right now. And I would love it if you leave that honest review in Apple Podcast in particular. It helps other women to find the show and helps the show to grow. Also, if you're not following me on Instagram, please follow me there. I'm there at Dr. Nicole Rankins and I post lots of great content in the feed and stories. I do live Q and a sessions a couple times a month or so. So do come check me out over on Instagram. We can continue the conversation after the podcast there again, that's Dr. Nicole Rankins on Instagram. So that is it for this episode. Do come on back next week. And until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, drnicolerankins.com to get even more great information, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan that works, as well as everything you need to know about my signature online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com and I will see you next week. Thank you.